0: Philippians chapter 2 if you want to go ahead and go there. For the last several weeks we've been discussing the topic of adoption. I want to encourage everyone to go to the, our uh, podcast, Revivinary an Podcast, and check out the latest podcast that we've uploaded. We have a podcast currently out where Emily Myers talks about her and her family's experience with domestic adoption. This Tuesday we'll be releasing another podcast with Joe Carol Ellis and she tells of her and Paul's uh, story of adoption um, you know, uh, overseas. So um, wonderful, wonderful. It's really neat how the, regardless of whether it's domestic or overseas, how the, the same heart, the same passion, the same feelings are applied in each case. But in our discussion here about us being adopted into the family of God, it goes without saying that we we want to make mention, I, I mean, of of the plight of all of those in the foster and adoption system here in the United States and around the world. How many, how many children go to bed at night wishing that they had what we often take for granted? And I want to encourage, as I have each week, that if you have a heart, a passion, the ability, the wherewithal to foster or adopt, please do so. Please do so the Lord lays that on your heart to do it then I would I want to encourage you to do it but I want you to listen to the voices of those who have gone through the process here in our family that can tell you about their experience and if you listen to the podcast with Emily and the podcast with Joe Carroll you'll hear them both say the same thing if the Lord puts it on your heart please do it please do it it's worth it the struggle it's worth the struggle it's worth whatever difficulties there may be to know you're making a difference in some child's life. Now, as a church, you know, globally, if you will, it's one thing for us to yell and holler and scream about abortion. It's one thing for us to yell and holler and scream about all of the things that we are against. But there's a wonderful opportunity for the church to be the church in the process of adoption and foster. Amen? There are children who need what you as a believer can provide for them. Just listen to the voice of the Lord if the Lord lays that on your heart. This is what I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If you've been with us in our study in Romans, we're about to wrap it up. We've got like just a handful of verses left, so we should be done by 2024. But if you were with us on Wednesday nights, you've heard us talk about, especially here in the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16, where Paul gets very personal. And Paul talks about specific people that he has come to uh, come to know, come to love, come to be, to be uh, in accord with, that prior to his experience on the road to Damascus, Paul would have hated these people because they're Gentiles. They were not of the stock of Abraham. They were considered subhuman, beneath the people of God. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes about how these specific people that he names, who were, many of them, Gentiles, how much he loves them, how grateful he is for the sacrifices that they made for him, for the things that they did in support of the work that Paul was doing in his ministry. And it gets really, really personal. And I think sometimes we lose the personality, the personableness of Scripture because we gloss over it, we read it quickly without being absorbed in it. It's one thing to absorb for knowledge. It's another thing to be absorbed in something and become fluid and part of it. Paul was not on the outside of the church looking in. He was not a speaker, a promoter. He was not just some public figure but he was a part of this living, breathing body of Christ that had been brought to life, that had been raised up by Jesus himself, literally and figuratively, to go and do the work that God has called the church to do and to be what God has called the church to be. So when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, if you look on further in chapter 2, and all throughout the book of Philippians, Paul makes it clear to the church at Philippi that at one time he really thought of himself as being somebody. He was something. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, the Jew of all Jews. He was above and beyond reproach, and nobody could find a word that they could say against him. Paul says to them, I count all of that stuff that I had. Born, the stock of Benjamin, on the eighth day I was circumcised, he says, and began to serve the Lord, so he thought. But I now count all of that as loss for the excellency that is in Christ Jesus. The superiority, the excellency, that means above, What is Paul saying that Jesus is above? He's above all man-made religion. He's above all philosophy. He's above all government. He's above all judgment, all legalism. He's above everything that we often hold so highly. He is more excellent. when Paul speaks specifically to the church at Philippi here in what we're reading I want you to hear this man who once was superior in his mind who now says that everything that he thought was success is nothing but refuse or dung and he Casts all of that away in order that he might obtain Christ and Christ alone. Now listen to his words. These are not, when Paul was writing these letters, he was not thinking about writing a book or, or writing some kind of poetry or philosophy for us to, to sit around and, and, and memorize and quote He was writing words that he had come to know to be true about his experiences. He was talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in his life, not just what he heard from someone else. And as he writes, he writes with passion that cannot be captured by a pen, that can only come from the depths of a soul that has been changed, that has been made new. Listen to what he says. This This is his plea. This is his desire. This is Paul's one wish, if you will. If I could have anything, if I could desire anything to come of the ministry that I have done in Philippi, this is what Paul says. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, He's saying, guys, if if you love me. Pardon me for saying it like this, but it's like Paul's plea to this this group of people that he loves dearly. He's pleading with them and says, if you love love me, if you love Jesus, if you love the church, if you love, guys, if you love me and complete my joy, give me this one wish and be of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. What does it mean to be in accord or of one mind? It means to be in unity. Sometimes the best way to define a word is to define what it isn't. What is disunity? you ever been a part of a work environment that was chaotic there was no cohesiveness, everyone was fighting for their own no one got along have you ever walked into a restaurant where the servers are fighting with the cooks where the servers are fighting with one another and everything is just catawampus Have you ever gone into a family function? Oh, easy. An experienced disunity where you got two sisters, two brothers, a child and a parent, a husband and a wife that are at odds with one another. They cannot see eye to eye. There is disagreement. There is dysfunction. And there is disunity. Disunity. Disunity is a disagreement and conflict within a group. It goes a little further than that. In order to have a functioning family, there have to be moments where there are disagreement. It has to happen. That's how we grow. It's It's how we mature in some ways. Where it becomes a problem is when it's a situation in which people disagree so much that they can no longer work together effectively. It's when the two parties say, I refuse to meet in the middle. The reason I tell you to stay away from the news as much as you can, be informed. But don't be incited. Be insightful. A house divided against itself cannot stand. In terms of the church, what does it mean to be of one accord? Well, it doesn't mean to have one person in the church that rules the roost. It doesn't mean to have one person that finds fault in everything and therefore rules from a throne of legalism. It doesn't mean to have a totalitarian pastor that commands and demands, yells out expectations, and curses you when you don't do exactly what they want, And rules with an iron fist. It doesn't mean to have a bunch of squabbles and infightings. Amongst the church body. Over frivolous. And fruitless things. And it doesn't even mean to have infighting over real reasons. What I mean by that is. Jesus said If someone strikes you on the cheek, what should you do? Pull out your gat and blast them. No. You turn the other cheek. So when we talk about being of one accord, what are we talking about? Is it the church government? Is it church politics? Is it structuring your church to look like the state is it structuring the church to look like you what does it mean to be in one accord this way bud right over here here that's your phone call buddy no really it's that way (laughs) There he is. There he goes. There he goes. yeah you go, buddy. Let's give him a hand. All right, yeah, yeah yeah. all right. There he is. Boy, he's just like his daddy, isn't he? <laughs> lucky guy, lucky, lucky guy. Yeah, that's how I would describe it, too. So what does it mean to be of one accord? I'm going to give you a hint, give you a clue of what it means. Listen to what is recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, or when the day of Pentecost fully come, they were all together in one place. Now in the King James it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Why were they all in the upper room? Why were they gathered together in one accord? Who told them to do that? Jesus told them to do that. Therefore, when the disciples were gathered together in one place and in one accord, they were doing what? They were being obedient to what Jesus said. Therefore, that which which united the disciples was not their personal opinions, was not their political proclivities. It was not their own thinking and their own thoughts, their own rules, their own laws, their own bylaws and government. It was one thing that united them, one thing that defined them, one thing that held them together cohesively and collectively as a group, one thing that made them in one accord and in one place, and that was Jesus. Jesus told them to, and they did. And what happened when they obeyed what the Lord said? He had promised that he would go away, but he would send another comforter who would come and fill them. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, when it arrived, they were all in one accord and in one place, and then they heard a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the place, and there were, as it were, Cloven tongues of fire that came down from heaven and touched them, filled them all. And they were filled with the Spirit. And since that day when you come into the church body as a believer in Jesus Christ through your born again experience, you too at the moment of your salvation are filled with that same Spirit. What happened after they were filled with the Spirit? What did the church go and do? What Jesus told them to do. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart and their neighbor as their self. And they they took that seriously, like really serious. Like they went out into the streets and they began to tell people, show people, let people experience the love and the mercy of God. That's crazy thinking. They went out and began to preach and the church began to grow. People were born again. People were baptized. Crazy, isn't it? And the Lord was glorified and the church was multiplied. And what made all of that possible? It was the fact that they were all in obedience to Christ. You don't define what obedience to Christ is. He does. You don't determine what God wants you to do. He tells you what you are to do. When the disciples were together in one accord, it meant with one mind, it meant with one one passion. That word accord has the implication of fierceness, not fierceness in the sense of, I'm fierce. I'll never do that again as long as I live. I'll hire that one out. It means fierce dedication, fierce loyalty, determination. No no ifs, ands, or buts. It is a devotion. A fierce passion. To what? A fierce passion to what? Listen to what Jesus says. And loved them even as you loved me. Do you see a theme in what Jesus is saying here? Lord, make them one that the world may know that you have sent me. Make them one as you and I are, are one. As you and I, O oh God, are in complete agreement. Bring them into agreement with you and with me and with one another. Not in agreement with one another about what each other says, but in agreement with one another about what you have said. Why are you here this morning? You are not just here to hear a message and go home and act as if you've heard nothing and check it off your box, assuage your guilt, and make yourself feel better. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come here? Why did you show up? What was it that drove you to be here or drove you to drive here? What is it that made you stay here this morning? There's something in you that pulls you and compels you to be here. And that spirit that draws you here does not draw you here for the purpose of you having a pleasant time, having a good experience, being able to enjoy yourself, to be entertained. But Rather, for us to come and gather here together as believers in Jesus Christ, as one collective body, in order that God might unite us together with one another through his will, not through our desires. That we might be able to come together collectively as the church and hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us and what it is that God wants us to do. Specifically, what is it that God wants us to do? The Spirit will show us. But I can tell you, That there is one thing that the Spirit of the Lord wants all of us to know, and it is not a hidden thing. It is not something specific about what this individual church body at Monterey should do in the community. This is one thing that is universal and is unchanging, and it is that we must be unified. We must be united. It does not matter if you're the oldest one here or the newest one here. It doesn't matter if you have a church background or you don't. It doesn't matter if you come in here broken into a thousand pieces or if you have a testimony of a life that is nearly unscathed. It doesn't matter if you are sick or if you are well. It doesn't matter if you're married or divorced. It doesn't matter if your children toe the party line or if your children party with their toes out. It doesn't matter what your background, what your history is. It does not matter what your present or your future is. What matters is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and that God has brought you to this church for the purpose of applying you to this body for you to do that which God has gifted and qualified you to do in order that you might be able to perpetuate the work that he is doing in the church body for the purpose of bringing others in here that they might experience the love and the peace and the joy that only this unity can produce. There is no joy like the joy of the believer. There is no peace like the peace of the believer. There is no happiness, no satisfaction, no stillness, no calm like that of the believer. We are not here this morning because our politics align us together. We are not here because our philosophy aligns us together. We're not here because our astrological signs unite us together. We are here this morning because we all came to know the Jesus That died for all the sin of humanity. We are here because we have received his mercy and his grace. We are here because we know what it means to be loved when we were unlovable. And we know what it means to experience mercy when we don't deserve it. And what better people to show the world who he is than those who have experienced it firsthand. And if we have experienced it firsthand, then why are we fighting with each other? Why would we pop off to one another and treat each other like dirt? Why would we judge one another and look down on one another and try to find fault in one another instead of lifting each other up? The last time I checked, Matt called the Bible says that we as the church body are to love one another, lift one another up, to support one another, to encourage one another. I'm not saying we're not. What I'm saying is this, if this is your first day here, or this is your 5,000th day here, this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in this congregation, maybe you're a new member, I want you to know one thing. One thing. Disunity is not accepted here. fighting is not acceptable, not because I say so, not because Matt says so, but because he says so. Your bad attitudes, it's not acceptable. Your idle words are not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Your legalistic judgments are not acceptable, not because I say so, and not because I'm some enforcer. I'm a shepherd. If you're a bear, I'll fight you, but otherwise I won't. That was funnier than I meant it to be. It's one thing. Paul said, if I can have one thing, it's one desire of mine. A coup It gras. Be that you would be of one mind, one love, and one accord. Do you believe that Jesus loves you this morning? Do you believe he loves you? He loves you more than anything. He laid down his life for you. Do you think he loves the people in your community Even those that are unlovable Do you believe he loves them If we have the answer If we have the hope and the joy And the peace that they need What is the enemy going to try to do He's going to try to attack that Is he not And if you are focused on fighting with someone else You are not going to be focused on Fighting for the broken The lost The hurting You'll be focused on yourself, and that is where disunity begins. I understand you've been hurt, and I understand that you've gone through problems, and I understand that church hurt is real, whether we want to admit it or not. And I know that there are people who are broken, whether we want to admit it or not. But we've got to go even beyond that and say, yes, church hurt is real. Bad things happen. But today is a new day. And today we have the opportunity to do things the right way. To not repeat the mistakes that have happened in churches in the past, but to do it the right way. What is the right way? I don't have a book to hand you. I don't have a philosophy. There is no course I can tell you to sign up for online. There is no YouTube video. There's no podcast that will sum it up and tell you how to do it. Here's how you do it. You keep coming in here Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday and whenever else we gather together and you find opportunities to come together as one church body. If you don't know who people are, let me tell you how you fix that. Hi, my name is Jeremy. What's your name? Glad you're here, buddy. You're my brother. Simple. Simple. You create opportunities to come together as a church family, to get to know one another. Take somebody out to eat. Invite someone over to your house. If you're grilling out, call me. But Don't wait for an opportunity to arise because the church function happens. Do it on your own. Function as the church. Get to know one another. Love one another. Support one another. Encourage one another. Reach out and see what God is able to do. Embrace the one who's been hurt. Embrace the one who's been broken. If you have been hurt or broken, let someone embrace you and let God show you that what has happened was not his will and the way that it was is not the way that it is. And the way that we do this from this point forward will not be our way, your way, my way, anybody else's way, a denomination's way, some corporate entity. No, it won't be the government's way. It will be Jesus's way. Because he is excellent above everything else. And this is what he told us to do. Love one another. Love one another. Love each other so much that you'll forgive Elijah when he missteps. But also, love one another to not be a selfish jerk. Love one another enough to not do what you want to do because you want to do it. But stop and think before you speak. Stop and think before you act. And stop making excuses. Own it. That's what the family does. Anybody going to go to a family function this Thanksgiving or this this Christmas where there's probably going to be some disunity? you going to go to anybody's house over the next couple of weeks or the next next month or so where you're going to walk in not knowing what to expect? Anybody going to have that? You walk in, you don't know who's going to do what and when, where, and how, and you certainly don't know why. You're going in with the hope that all goes well, but with the expectation the popo might get called. I've gone to sh- I've gone to family dinners, Gary, for somebody in the family got a little sideways. You know what I mean? Got a little sideways. The family doesn't make excuses for it. The family will walk with you through every court date, through every hospital visit, through everything that has to happen. But you got to go through it. But as you go through it, Kitty, I'm going to go through it with you. We're going to go through life together. I'll never forget. I'll never forget my grandfather. My brother got in a little trouble one time. He's going to kill me if he finds out I said that. Remember every time my brother had to go to court, You know who was sitting there? My grandfather. My grandmother. My uncles. And my mom. And his big brother. Could have thumped him in his head. Well, idiot. That's my brother. When he's wrong, he's still my brother. When he's right, he's not anymore my brother. That's what a family is. Unity is not perfection. It is the love that persists even in the face of error. You've been loved that way, so my question to you is, will you love each other that way? Will you love one another? He will. Will you love one another that way? Well, here's your opportunity. We're going to close out our service we're going to go our separate ways until about 6 o'clock tonight. If you've got a problem with somebody or you've caused a problem, fix it. Fix it. There's nothing more important to a church than unity. There's nothing more detrimental to a church than disunity. Amen?